0: is Avin Torian and this is a Jacob political podcast. Here we are with episode three and this time we're going to talk about the primaries. So we're at like this almost peak in the primaries where we see people announcing their campaigns every day. Today we just saw Joe Biden declare that he's running officially and so we have a lot of strong contenders on the Democratic side from Harris to Sanders, better the Klobuchar, it's kind of insane.
1: But one of the few things that a lot of people don't think about, especially when there is, you know, a president in office that has the ability to run for a second term, is, you know, the primary race when it comes to the other side of the aisle. Um, So usually we don't have one, but um, after the recent news, just in the past couple of weeks, Donald Trump does have a challenger for the Republican ticket. So we decided to talk a little bit about the Republican primary.
0: Exactly. So if you think about who ran against Obama, who ran against Clinton, no one. And so this is why it's really interesting. On, On April 15th, Bill Weld announced he was running for president as a Republican against Trump. And... So we want to talk about when has this happened before and what does it mean. So we're going to give an overview of the times it's happened before, and then we're going to discuss what this means in 2020. And so there's only been four times in American history in an election where the incumbent president's been challenged by their own party in the primaries. And spoiler alert, they have never lost the primary, but they've lost the general every single time.
1: What? Uh, So there was one time they (laughs) lost the primary, but that's because they didn't run.
0: Well, yes, but... You know, sorry, we would have expanded on that, but <laughs> <laughs> but the, the theory still holds. So what started off with 1968 when Senator Eugene McCarthy and Senator Robert F. Kennedy opposed President Lyndon Johnson? So, Johnson was, of course, the president that took
1: over from JFK and was president for a little period of time before he went for his first term. He won the first term, but then in 1964 decided to, at the beginning, run for a second. So, he was challenged by those two main Democrats, Senator Eugene McCarthy and Senator Robert F. Kennedy. Um, McCarthy was the first to challenge um, LBJ because of his stance with the Vietnam War. But both McCarthy and Kennedy were both um, very anti-war and supported a lot of the you know Vietnam movements that we saw across college campuses around the late 60s. Um, so once the opposition was realized, Johnson actually announced that he would not be seeking re-election. There were a couple reasons why he chose to do this. The first one was because he knew he would not be able to beat McCarthy or Kennedy without a significant political battle, and I just do not think he was up for that. And he knew that if he were to not run at all, then His vice president, Hubert Humphrey, would run in his place, which is what ended up happening. Um, Humphrey was very much supported by the more establishment um, Democratic Party, and LBJ knew going in that if he wanted that establishment lens to continue, that Humphrey would be the right person for the job. So in the primary, McCarthy got a lot of the young student in the anti war vote, whereas Kennedy got a lot of the poor lower income racial ethnic and religious minority vote humphrey on the other hand as we talked about before got the establishment democrat votes that had a lot of support from labor unions and political bosses for example chicago's very own daily and then those kind of political dynasties that we saw go on through you know, the the mid-1900s. Unfortunately, the primaries, the worst-case scenario happened in the primaries when Kennedy was shot um, by a radical Palestinian from, actually from... He, citizenship was from Jordan, who was visiting and living in the United States for the time. He hated Kennedy for his ties and his support of Israel, specifically because of Israel's you know movement at that time against Palestine. Um, and he was shot and unfortunately died. After his death, some of the supporters went to the side of McCarthy, but some of them hated McCarthy so much because of the headbutting that happened in the primaries that a lot of them looked. At third-party candidates. Um, That allowed Humphrey to take the primaries by a landslide and went on to face Richard Nixon, which, of course, as we know, President Nixon ended up winning. Um, Humphrey lost both the popular vote and the Electoral College. Humphrey took about 42.72 percent of the popular vote with 35.5 percent of the Electoral College. Nixon ran on a campaign that used a lot of similar rhetoric that the Trump campaign used, actually. Um, Nixon's biggest tagline was that he had a stress on law and order. And this was very, very... Um, well taken by the voting populace who were going through the assassination of MLK, the recent assassination of, you know, uh, presidential hopeful Kennedy, Uh, the race riots were going on, the police and student clashes against the Vietnam War. So it was a time of fear. and It was a time of new ideas. And I think the uh, Nixon administration and the Nixon campaign, as well as the Republican Party, really did, you know, take that and use it for their advantage. So Nixon ended up winning. And continuing,
0: and then we all know what happened there. And then, so how I think this plays into the pattern we're going to see is, while Johnson himself did not run, I almost see Henry uh, Humphrey, sorry, as a stand-in for him. And so, like, but we do see this where the incumbent wins this primary, but then loses in the general. And so that's the one outlier. But I think we can make enough exceptions to the rules where this plays into the same pattern we're going to keep seeing. So next, we're going to dive into 1976 when Ronald Reagan opposed Gerald Ford so much like
1: LBJ who took over for um, Kennedy after Kennedy was assassinated um Gerald Ford took over from Nixon once Nixon was um once Nixon resigned from the presidency um one of the first things that Ford did and this will be important later was that he pardoned Nixon right when he became president, which dropped his approval ratings. In fact, it was the steepest drop in presidential approval ratings in history, um, and it dropped, in a very small period, 20%. Um, Ford was a member of the more left-wing, not left-wing politically, but the more what left-wing side of the Republican Party, which will come into play when we pair him against his competitor, which was uh, Ronald Reagan. Uh, So Ronald Reagan, which at this time was, um, you know, a politician out of California, was an avid member of the conservative wing of the Republican Party. He spent a lot of his time um, in office in California, breaking down social service nets, um, stating that they were going to more heavily police and incarcerate student activists, specifically Mm -hmm. at UC Berkeley, which, you know, came into play with the last, Um, Last issue we talked about. Um, But one of the reasons, there were two main reasons why Ronald Reagan and the conservative wing of the party decided to go after Gerald Ford. The first one was that uh, Gerald Ford decided to um, put Nelson Rockefeller as his vice president, who was another member of the more left-wing part of the Republican Party, and that angered a lot of the more uh, right-wing Republican senators. Um, So Ronald Reagan at first thought about running as a right-wing independent, but then decided to go against Gerald Ford for the Republican Party ticket in order to push the Republican Party to a more right-wing direction. Um, The main reason, in addition to the vice president pick, that Ronald Reagan decided to go against Ford was also because of a lot of Ford's foreign policy decisions, such as his quest to improve U.S.-Russian relations, as well as the American evacuation of Saigon. So it's funny that, you know, we talk so much about how the Republican Party is in line with, you know, an improvement of U.S.-Russian relations, but back then it was it was toxic to the Republican Party. And as for the evacuation of Saigon, um, Reagan was quoted to say that um, by evacuating out of Saigon, we were not strong enough against, you know, communism and the Russians. And in fact, he um, liked it to World War II and, and how you know, we, and how a lot of the European states dealt with, you know, the rise of Hitler. Um, now Ford actually survived two assassination attempts during this primary (laughs) period, neither of which actually harmed him. They were all thwarted, but they got quite close. And he ended up winning the support of the Republican ticket by, by just a landslide. So in terms of, um, in terms of votes, Ford got 1,187, whereas Reagan got 1,070. So it really was neck and neck. Um... Now, funny enough, the main reason um, why Carter ended up taking the ticket from Ford is because of how he dealt with the with the Nixon scandal. The pardon of Nixon is one of the main reasons why many people thought that Carter was able to take the ticket. But then President Carter also ran a campaign focused on Washington reform and really positioned himself as an outsider against government corruption, which was just a perfect thing to say right after the Watergate <laughs> scandal. Um, so Carter won the popular vote, just won it with 50.08% of the popular vote, but then won the Electoral College with 552
0: so do you think that we could def- describe this um, this clash that we see of Reagan opposing Ford as like a fight back to the conservative base of the party, like, uh, like trying to tie back to the establishment? Or do you think this goes beyond that?
1: So at the time, I don't think the super right wing of the party was the establishment. Um, now, I could definitely see the ever-growing population of right-wing individuals at the time wanting to push the party over, which they ended up doing. You know, the reason why Ronald Reagan sounds familiar is because he ends up being president, and we'll talk about that later. Um, But Ronald Reagan was the first to speak out in a long-growing population of um, Southern politicians who very much supported very, very right-wing beliefs. Um, So I think this was an attempt to pull the Republican Party further to the right, and I don't... I think it failed, but I think the fact that Ford failed in the elections allowed for Reagan to come back during the next upswing, and of course, bring on you know the the Reagan era that would define the Republican Party and right wing politics for years to come. Okay.
0: Any last notes from nineteen seventy six? No, that's about it. So now we're gonna jump way forward to nineteen eighty. Four years later. So, Jimmy Carter finished his first term. He's opposed by Edward Ted Kennedy, who, third time we brought up a Kennedy during this podcast, but, like, mm-hmm. it's fine. And, and Ted Kennedy is actually
1: the brother of the unfortunately assassinated Kennedy that we talked about in the first year. Um, and that comes a little bit into play later. Um, so... Jimmy Carter's presidency was faltering after his first term. His ratings dropped as low as 28 percent during this time, and that was mainly because of the economy failing. But also a big issue that you'll see throughout our talk about Jimmy Carter is, of course, what happened in Iran. Um, the the Iranian crisis that went on at that time. Um, Ted Kennedy, on the other hand, was always seen as a giant political force, um, but he was kept running for many political cycles due to a personal incident that happened. Um, this is a, a mouthful, but the chappaquiddick Incident. I definitely mispronounced that, um, which was an incident where he was driving home with a young woman who was actually at a political event he went to, and he ended up losing control of his car, and the car flew into a lake. Uh, whereas Ted was able to leave, um, according to him, he dived in multiple times to try to rescue the girl. It did not work. Um, But the main reason why this was litigated in court and why it became a whole scandal was because Ted Kennedy waited 10 hours to tell the police about the incident. um, And the girl ended up dying. She ended up suffocating. Uh, um, The police were very, very clear that if he would have called it when it happened, her life would have been saved. Um, So that was a huge, huge political scandal that kept him out of the political limelight for a while. He ended up still... Um, being a senator, but he went up to his constituency and said, hey, I will step down if you want me to. They say no, just because of the scandal. We still want you to stay because you're a good politician. So he ended up staying. But Carter was doing such a bad job in the eyes of Ted Kennedy that he decided to go up against him in the primary. Um, In fact, polls at the time and right in the beginning of when he stated that he would go against Carter for the Democratic ticket, polls had him winning two to one against Jimmy Carter. But, You know, this recent presidential election will teach you anything is that polls aren't everything because poll because things change very quickly. Um, During the crisis with Iran, Carter's acceptance rose um, quite highly because of the, you know, the rally around the flag effect where, you know, if you have an enemy to root against, you know, you also tend to support the administration that's going through that. And a dip in that rally around the flag effect was unfortunately um, when Operation Eagle Claw failed, um, where President Carter failed to rescue 52 American embassy staff in Iran after um, the right-wing religious extremist. Uh, you know, groups took over Iran. Um, Nonetheless, Carter was able to win the primary and won a vast majority of the delegates for his party because Ted Kennedy just really did not push hard enough. Also, the establishment of the Democratic Party at that time was not left-wing. It was, you know, very, very centrist, and Ted Kennedy was a lot too left-wing for the party. And in fact, one of his last speeches he gave was a very, very rousing one where he asked the Democratic Party for the sake of the future to push to a bit more to the left side, Um, But the issue that allowed allowed him to win the primary against Ted Kennedy was also his undoing, because Carter lost the election to Ronald Reagan. Um, It was a combination of how he dealt with Iran, but also the failing economy that left him unpopular to begin with. Carter warned the country against Reagan, calling him a right-wing radical that would change politics for the worse for years to come. But a large majority of the U.S. seemed to disagree and brought on the Reagan revolution. Um, It allowed Republicans to win the Senate for the first time in about 30 years, and it marked a large upswing for the Republican Party as well as a a, a redefinition of what conservative policies really were. We still talk about Reaganites and the Reagan administration to this day and how it affected the party.
0: And then, so, moving forward to our last case in U.S. history is 1992, when former Nixon advisor and television communication, television communicator sorry, Patrick Buchanan opposed President George H.W. Bush. So, Buchanan was a former columnist, and he was the CNN host of Crossfire. And we love seeing CNN hosts running for president and working in administration. Tends to happen a lot nowadays. But... Um, Buchanan was an opposition researcher under the Nixon campaign as well, and then worked, with, uh, worked on Nixon's staff through Watergate, and then continued to work under Ford as well. He eventually became Reagan's communications director, which throwback to episode one on communications directors, and he ended up running against Bush for Bush's re-election, re-election campaign. Because he thought Bush represented this insider establishment game politics that he didn't like seeing in the Republican Party. And so some interesting things about Buchanan was that he made some comments at the time that denied parts of the Holocaust, specifically to do with gas chambers, and he made some very anti-Semitic comments at the same time. And so this did not help his popularity. I mean, that's debatable for the Republicans. But nonetheless, these were still problematic comments, and he ran to the platform of immigration reduction and social conservatism. He actually coined the term silent majority under the Nixon campaign, and which we actually sort of brought up again for during the Trump campaign. But it's interesting that this all ties back to this man, and he opposed multiculturalism, abortion, and gay rights. So he's very much that conservative, conservative man who was trying to fight the Um, a quote-unquote insider game of politics. He won 23% of the primary vote, ended up losing, so Bush won the primary, obviously, and he ended up endorsing Bush. And, as we know, Bush ended up losing to Clinton. However, um... He actually, Buchanan actually ran again in 1996, losing to Bob Dole, and then he ran in 2000 under the Reform Party, the party of Ross Perot, who, uh, popular figure in modern politics, but Ross Perot never even endorsed him, which is interesting. So this is the most current one we have to date. This was 1992. We're now in the year 2020. So, four times in their U.S. history, all of it seems kind of clumped in this time frame. The three of them at the very beginning of this, what was the first one, sorry? Seven, 1968. 68 Between 68 and 80, we saw three of four throughout history. Then we see 92. Now we fast forward, and we're in the year 2020. April 15th, Trump gets a primary challenger, Bill Weld. He was the former Republican governor of Massachusetts from 91 to 97, And he also ran to be the governor of New York in 2005, but lost the primary. What's interesting about Bill is that he ran as the libertarian vice presidential candidate in 2016 alongside Gary Johnson, and he rejoined the Republican Party in 2019 just to run against Trump. He says that Trump shows contempt for the American people, and his question is foreign policy. So this is the first person that we see stepping up to the bat, and we see similar themes that we've seen in the past where trying to bring it back to a different base, so on and so forth. But... Is he going to be the last person we see? We're not sure yet. Um, There were a couple other people who have not denied saying that they're going to run, and they've hinted to the fact that they might run as well. The first one is Bob Corker, a U.S. Senator from Tennessee from 2007 to 2019 and then retired this year. Then we have Larry Hogan, the governor of Mer- current governor of Maryland since 2015. And then John Kasich, the governor of Ohio, ran in 2016. He was governor for two tor- terms from 2011 to 2019 and is now a CNN political commentator. Knocker and... War- oh, God, all these CNN commentators. And so these three have said that they are considering running against Trump. People have told them to run against Trump. And so we don't really know what's going to happen. Will we see more or will Bill World be the last? And what do you think this means moving forward? Is there a clear message? So the one thing about
1: all of these is that all of them happened in very different times and for very different reasons. But I think if we can take anything apart from them and, and apply it to the modern day, is that a person, a high-profile politician coming up and running against the incumbent president really means that there's a fracturing within the party, in my opinion. It means that uh, there is one part of the party that wants to pull the party in a certain direction. And because of that, it doesn't show the level of unity that I think a lot of voters want out of their political parties. Um, If you look at the first two, I think the first two are a bit of special cases because um, both of them involved Presidents running for re-election after they had not been elected before. So, for example, um, LBJ took on after Kennedy, and um, you know, then Gerald Ford took over after Nixon, and both of them were vice president picks. Who, yes, people voted them as vice presidents, but didn't necessarily vote them as presidents. So, I think at first that was one reason why I thought that people might have went against them in the primaries. But what we found through all of our research that it really comes down to a different view of
0: the party of the president and i think i think that we've actually seen this like leading up to this in this current administration so if we go back to episode one in communications directors the story we tried to tell through that position was that we of these out like inside the difference between republican insiders and trump insiders and when republican insiders republican loyalists would try and work for trump they were kind of booted out it never worked it never fit until trump surrounded himself by yes men so we see the, these two party factions in the Republican Party right now, honestly. We see, like, the conservative home base of the Republicans, the John Kasichs, whatnot. And then we see the Donald Trump and who, everyone that supports him. So is there going to be enough energy to, to have someone from this, like, core base rise against the Trump populists? Or is it going to, like, falter out? And will there be enough energy before the primary in order to, like, actually boot out Trump? Which we've never, like, someone who's actually running, not someone who withdraws, we've never seen an incumbent lose. So, lose the primary. So, what we're going to see in the next, like, year and a half is going to be a wild time. Is anyone else going to run? Are they going to get momentum? And if not, what is the signal in 2020? Stay oh tuned. Yeah. We'll find out. <laughs> you now know as much as us. And it's just – this is just a turning point in U.S. history, obviously, for many reasons. And what can we learn from the past that hope is like infer what's going to happen now? So that's all we have for this episode. Thank you for joining us again on the Grinnell Political Podcast. I'm Zaventorian,
1: And I'm Ed Jacob. Have a good night. Until next time.